You are listening to the podcast of New Life Church in Wayland, Michigan. Our longing is to see zero people in our community living unchanged by Jesus. We are a church navigating the messiness of life together in community. One of our core convictions is that everyone is welcome, no one is perfect, and anything is possible. I hope you know there is a place in the family for you here. For more information on gathering times and location, check out our website. But for now, I hope God speaks powerfully to you through this word. Well, good morning. Before we uh, begin with the sermon this morning, can we just take a moment to honor and say thank you to our worship team here this morning? Let's just say thank you to them for a second. So the reason that I do that, because we don't necessarily do that every single week, is because uh, from Thursday on, they have just dealt, been dealt blow after blow to even get to this point here this morning with sick team members and tech issues this morning not working, and so they just been troopers, and just to usher us into the presence of the Lord, I think it's fitting just for us to be able to say thank you to them. And one of the things that I think is, is true is that the enemy does not like what is happening here in this church. And uh, I actually believe he really hates the stuff that we're going to talk about today because this is the stuff of how God sets people free. And so I want to begin uh, this morning with a story. It was early afternoon, and the young woman was carefree and alive as she was running from her house to his house, like she always did. Her kids were at school, her husband was at work, and so she ran to his arms, because in his arms, she felt more alive than she did in her husband's. She never saw herself as a cheater. She intended to be faithful, but life just happened, and marriage got boring, and she ran to this guy's arms. And as she begins to undress herself in barges, the leaders of her church, and they pull her out of the room, and just in time, she's able to grab just a sheet off the bed, and they parade her through the streets. At this point, she's just a prop as she is thrown down at the feet of a controversial street preacher. And the leaders of her church begin yelling at this street preacher. And they begin saying to this street preacher, Hey, street preacher, this woman deserves the death penalty. Do you not read the Bible, street preacher? Read the Bible. Do you believe, do you obey the Bible street preacher? This is what this woman deserves. And all while these men are yelling at this street preacher, this woman is here with her, her cheek against the dirt. And she's just replaying a lot of different things in her head right now. First, she's thinking to herself, man, I really need to find a new church. <laughs> but second, she's replaying all of the shame in her mind. How long have they known? Who else knows about the infidelity? I wonder what it feels like to be executed publicly. Will it be painful? Will it go quickly? And all while these church leaders are yelling at the street preacher, he is silent. He's silent. He doesn't say a word. Until in a moment, he just bends down right next to this woman, begins making some motions and writing some things in the dirt that she can't quite make out. And in this moment, her whole life is flashing before her eyes. What is this street preacher going to say? And quietly, 
he stands up and looks at the leaders of our church, and he says, go ahead, execute her, throw the rocks at her, but the first one that gets to throw a rock is the one who has no skeletons in his own closet. The one who gets to throw the first rock is the one who has never taken anything that doesn't belong to him or never told a white lie or never sinned himself, has always been faithful, who has never looked at another person with lust in his heart. Go ahead, grab the rock and throw it. And one by one, the leaders of this woman's church walk away stunned because they have no case against her. None of them are able to pick up the rock and throw it. And in tears, the street preacher looks at this woman and he asks her a really simple question. Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one. And the street preacher looks at her and he says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and from now on sin no more. Now, that is a heavy story to start a Mother's Day sermon with. (laughs) But if you haven't figured it out yet, this street preacher is Jesus. This is a story straight from John chapter 8. This is Jesus, and if you also haven't figured it out yet, this woman is you. And she is me. And she is every single person who has ever carried shame and sin in our bodies You see, today we come to probably the hardest line of the Lord's Prayer. Because today is challenging because it's Jesus teaching us to pray a type of prayer that actually leaves us in the position of this woman, in the dust at Jesus' feet. It's a type of prayer that we ask, how much do I actually trust Jesus to forgive the things in my life that nobody else sees, that nobody else knows about? In fact, the question that we're asking here this morning is, do I trust Jesus enough to be vulnerable and exposed at his feet when my sin is out there? Do I trust him enough? Do I trust that Jesus is one who looks at me in my sin at his feet, and rather than saying condemn and stone, he says heal and restore? Do I trust Jesus enough to be vulnerable at his feet? And so what we've been doing in the series is we've been going line by line through the Lord's Prayer. We just watched the video of it. And the line that we're looking at today is almost, to be honest, like a punch to the gut. Up until this point, we've been talking about a loving Father in heaven whose kingdom we want to come on earth as it is in heaven. We've been talking about a nice, warm, fuzzy loaf of bread every single day. But today sneaks up and hits us where it hurts. It's Matthew 6, verse 12. Jesus says this, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. The version in Luke says, forgive us our sins as we also forgive those who sin against us. See, this line is like a a jab in the guts. Forgive us our sins, no excuses, no ifs and buts. We're caught red-handed, vulnerable and exposed at the feet of Jesus. But then there's a right hook afterwards when it says, as we forgive those who sin against us. This one line hurts. It stings. But it also has the power to free us. It also has the power to set you 
free. And so the type of prayer that we are looking at today is a type of prayer called confession. And maybe you have a lot of baggage when you hear that word. Maybe you picture yourself in a booth next to a priest or being shamed for the stuff that you've carried and you've put yourself out there before and it's just been shot down and your shame's been exploited. Not so with Jesus. Confession is simply this. It's naming that God's greatest gift and my greatest need are the same thing. Forgiveness of sins. God's greatest gift and my greatest need are the exact same thing. Forgiveness of sins. Now the problem is, we want to avoid confession at all costs, don't we? It's much easier to pick up a rock. I'm going to get a workout today, by the way, with the up and down of the rock. But it's much easier to hold rocks, isn't it? And say, don't look at my sin. <laughs> what about their sin? What about the stuff they're doing? Right? If you, you want to see how this plays out all the time in our culture, just look at U.S. politicians. Holy cow. It's like, don't look at me. What about them? What about them? What about them? But we do this too, don't we, if we're honest? It's just the way we hold rocks. How about this one? We do this when we dress everything up. Right? You can put lipstick on a pig, but it's still a pig at the end of the day. Some of our lives are a mess. And we've just tried to cover it up and say, everything's fine. We're all fine. It's all fine. And yet, inwardly, we are crumbling. Confession has the power to free us of pretense. We do this when we withhold forgiveness from other people, don't we? God, I know you've forgiven me of my sins, but I'm willing, unwilling to extend that forgiveness to other people. I made this imagery in first service, and it's stark, but unforgiveness is like being constipated with sin. So much so that our bowels are just filled and we don't understand that confession, this is gross, I know, but confession is like a great laxative <laughs> for backed up sin. You will never forget that, that example, will you? You'll never forget it. it. It's true though. Think about this. Like some of us, we are so filled with unforgiveness and bitterness and rage to the point where we are so backed up. I just lost everybody in here. It's okay. <laughs> Despite our best efforts and intentions, the reality is none of us can stand before God with rocks in our hands. Not a single one of us. In fact, this book, if you believe the history recorded in this book, it's simply story after story after story of individuals and communities completely messing up our end of the bargain with God. Over and over and over again. You can't read this book and have an optimistic view of humanity. Heck, you can't turn on the news for two minutes and have an optimistic view of humanity because by nature, we are covenant breakers. We are sinful. So many of us, we are, we are in this place where we are broken because of the way sin has ravaged our lives. In the book of Hosea, God actually compares his sinful people to an adulterous woman. Like we find in John 8 at Jesus' feet, he calls his sinful people uh, an adulterous wife who is unfaithful to her husband. 
See, God is forgiving, but he is also holy at the same time. And our sin presents God with a very real problem. Because on one hand, he is merciful. Nehemiah says his inclination is to pardon. It is to forgive. But on the other hand, our sin has left such a great stain in this world. That scripture also says he cannot leave the guilty unpardoned. And so you have this incredible tension that we live within. And the point is we are all the woman in the dust at Jesus' feet. You, me, all of us. He who is without sin, throw the first rock. That's none of us. Amen? That is none of us. That's why when David writes in the Psalms, he writes this in Psalm 130, verse 3. He says, if you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? By the way, he's an adulterous murderer as well, by the way. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, none of us could stand. And what most of us want to do when we think about the stuff that nobody else sees is we want to keep that buried. We want to keep it in hiding. We want to keep it far away from anybody else ever being able to see it because we think that hiding actually protects us. But hiding actually destroys us. Let me show you what I mean. So, one of my kids uh, still wets the bed at night. And uh, that's not a big deal, right? They wear, they wear pull-ups. I wore them until I was 32, so it's fine. <laughs> they still wear pull-ups, and yeah, it's, it's fine. But the problem comes, and I'm not going to name this child because he will be very... Em- whoops. I said, <laughs> they will be very embarrassed. But in the morning, so the issue is not that they wet the bed. The issue is what happens in the morning. Because we've been working with said child to... You know, change out of your pull-ups, wash, get your underwear on, and then throw your pull-up in the trash. But this child's inclination is not to throw their pull-up in the trash. It's to hide their pull-up underneath their bed. Okay? In their carpeted room to boot. And it only takes a day, a couple hours, until this child's room starts to fill with the aroma of stale urine. It's wonderful. (laughs) Now imagine that hit and pull up is one day, and then two days, and then three pull-ups. One on top of the other, you can imagine the stench starts to get pretty pleasant. This is hidden sin. We may think we're hiding, but our lives reek of the stench of bitterness and resentment. Our lives reek of anger towards our spouse, resentment towards the church. Our lives are marked by substance binging to cover up and hide and push away the shame. We navigate just being completely burnt out on everything and everyone because we need to keep ourselves, we have this pressure to keep ourselves together. Some theologians say that we walk through this life with a daily nagging anxiety that has to be offloaded somewhere. And if we don't learn how to offload it in confession, you know who gets offloaded on? Our kids, our spouse, ourselves. See, when we confess, we are undressed of everything we pretend to be for everyone else. 
We are in the dust before Jesus. And ironically, it is only in this place, it's only in the dust at Jesus' feet where we have an opportunity to be washed in divine love. Because it's in this place where I have nothing to prove. I'm not impressive to anybody in the dust at Jesus' feet. I have nothing to show, nothing to pretend. It's just me, Jesus. And it's in this place where God's greatest gift and my greatest need meet. It is the forgiveness of sins because you and I are covenant breakers. We are the woman in the dust at Jesus' feet. And it's only in this place where we can recognize both the extravagant gift that he offers in forgiveness and our desperate need for it. So what area of your life right now are you trying to keep together on your own and you just can't anymore? What area of your life in the hiding is just coming out and the way that you're treating your spouse and your kids? I just speak to moms for a moment. Like moms, you know what it feels like to bear the weight of the world. And it's not a sin to have the weight of the world on your shoulders. What is sinful is to not learn how to offload that at the feet of the Savior. What are you bearing? What are you carrying that was never meant for you to carry? This is the gift of confession. Confession is not meant to shame us. It's not meant to exploit us. It is meant to free us from what we try to carry on our own. See, what I find so powerful about Jesus in this story with this woman is he's the only one in that circle who had a right to throw a rock. The only one. And you know what he chose instead of a rock? He chose a cross. He chose to lay his life down for the adulterous woman, for you, for me, on the cross. And you know what that means for those of us who are in Christ? It means there is no sin in your life that is beyond his forgiving power. There is nothing that you can bring him and name before him and lay out that he will exploit a shame in your life. You trust that about him? Like, do you trust that he is that good, that there is nothing that you can't bring him, that he will dress in condemnation? See, he has dropped the rock against you. He's dropped the rock against me once and for all. But that also means that sin is so serious and grievous to God that it cost him the life of his son. Don't mistake this. Forgiveness for us is free. It is a free gift but it came with an outrageous cost. And for us to truly understand the power of confession, we have to understand both of these things at the same time. Because if we don't, if we don't understand how much forgiveness costs God, that it costs his only son, then what we'll do is we'll walk through this life thinking that it was easy for him to grant us forgiveness and we'll be flippant and indifferent about the ravaging effects that sin has on every single one of our lives if we don't understand how much our forgiveness costs God. Like you want to withhold forgiveness from somebody else? That is a surefire sign that you have cheapened his forgiveness for you. But on the other hand, If we don't understand how free his forgiveness is for us, we'll walk through this life constantly doubting whether or not his forgiveness is sufficient for even my worst parts. We cheapen it both ways. We'll doubt how thorough and how extravagant his forgiveness is 
So asking God to forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors is simply how we are reminded of this. Free gift, outrageous cost. It stings a little as it sets us free. And so I want to just ask you here this morning, which prayer, which part of this prayer is harder for you to pray? Which part is harder for you to pray? Is it harder for you to pray, God, forgive my sins? Or is it harder for you to pray, God, help me to forgive others' sins against me? Which one's harder for you? If, if I'm honest with myself, it's probably both from time to time. It's probably both. Because on one hand, when we're not able to pray the first one, God forgive my sins, we're just staying in hiding. We're just staying in the bedroom. We're just staying under our own fig leaves, and it's destroying us. Like If we don't learn how to say, God, I have very real sin in my life that wants to sneak out and impact other people and other areas of my life, if I don't learn how to name my sin before God, I stay in hiding. And my shame just continues to build and build and build, and I walk through this life so filled with fear. But on the other hand, if I don't learn how to pray the second part, God, help me to forgive other sins against me, then this is what my life looks like. I am just constantly ready to throw a rock at any chance I get. We have to learn how to pray both if we want to understand how powerful his forgiveness is, how powerful his grace is, how powerful confession is to heal. So why did I take the time to share all of this with you? Why did I spend so much time on the gospel implications of forgiveness? Because I want you to understand one thing. You don't have to fear bringing your sins to God. There is no fear in love, for perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. This is 1 John 4 stuff. But God, who is faithful and just, when we bring our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You do not have to be afraid to bring your sins before God. There is nothing in your life that you've done, are doing, or will do that is off limits to his forgiving grace when it is confessed and named out loud. The second thing I want you to understand is that you shouldn't have to be afraid to confess your sins to a brother or sister in this church. And I say you shouldn't because I understand why you might be. The church has not always been the safest place for people to confess our sins to each other. And yet James 5 says that it's actually in the confession of our sins to one another that we experience real healing. That there is power to experience real healing. And so can we just agree on something as a community? That we're going to leave our rocks at the door? They have no place here. Zero rocks among us, if you will. We'll get a six banner up there. Right? No rocks among us. That we're actually, we're going to come into this place and we're going to leave our rocks at the door because none of us, according to Jesus, has a rock to throw at the other. Not a single one of us. Romans 8, 1 and 2 says this, There is therefore now no condemnation 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now here's what this doesn't mean. This doesn't simply mean live and let live. Right, you do you and I'll do me. What this does mean is that in the context of grace and compassion, we will practice confession with God and with each other. And when somebody brings a humble confession to this church, they will be met with love and grace and forgiveness. And when that doesn't happen, we repent of that. We say, God, forgive us. We mess this up. And we give each other grace to continue becoming more like Jesus. We are a community that takes sin seriously, but you can take sin seriously and still drop your rock. Just look at Jesus. That's what he did. I see over and over and over again people who misunderstand who Jesus is in our world today. Because it's either like one of two things with Jesus. On one hand, he's got to affirm everything about me. Otherwise, he's not loving. That's not Jesus. That's not Jesus at all. You cannot read this book and come to the conclusion that that is Jesus. But on the other hand, what we tend to do is we tend to hold our rocks so tightly, ready to throw at each other for any misstep, any sin. We're not going to be either. Jesus didn't come to affirm us. He came to transform us into his likeness. I love how Pete Gregg says this. He says, you cannot be too bad, too broken, or too boring for God's unconditional love. Only too proud to acknowledge how desperately you need it. Ask, and you will receive. Ask, and you will receive. Confession is willingly placing myself in the dust at Jesus' feet, with my sin exposed, trusting and believing that he will not condemn me when I do that. Trusting that he is the one who shows us true freedom from sin. And so how do I practice confession? There's really two steps to practicing confession, and they're very, very practical. The first step to confessing is acknowledging to God that he needs to search me. I may not know where sin is lurking in my life. I may not know upon first look all of the different effects that it's having, all of the different damage that it's doing in different parts of my life. And so the first part, it's Psalm 139 language. It's God, search me and know me. God, you know me better than myself. That's an offensive statement in our culture that somebody else knows us better than we know ourselves. But God, you know me better than I know me. You know all of the different legs that sin has in my life and how it's affecting this relationship and this relationship, how it's affecting the way I view myself and you and the world and everything around me. God, you know that. I don't necessarily know that right away. And so confession is inviting God to search us, to begin drawing those things to the light. God's, and it's simple as, God, what do I, what do you see in me that I don't see in myself? God, where is my sin impacting me in ways that I may not see? Where is my hiding destroying me? And then the second part of confession is simply agreeing with God about what he uncovers. You have a sin area in your marriage. You're not treating your spouse right. 
you're cutting corners at work because you're feeling very insecure about money right now. It's, it's beginning to name what God unveils and reveals in us when we invite him to search the deepest parts of us. What does confession of sin sound like? It sounds like, Jesus, I'm really sorry. How could I treat you like this, the only one who has a right to throw a rock and chose a cross instead? The one who died so I never would be punished. Is this how I would treat you after all you've done for me? Will I fail to forgive others when you died to forgive me? Would I be anxious about money when you gave me yourself to be security and true wealth in my life? Will I nurse my own pride and my own ego when you emptied yourself on a cross to save me? Church, God's greatest gift and my greatest need are the exact same thing. It is to forgive our sins and heal us. I want to just close by sharing the power that confession has had in my own life. And I have shared part of our story, and believe me, we have a controversial story that everybody has opinions about. And yet I have seen God free me in such a powerful and profound way that I can't help but just share that with other people. And so if you know me, if you know my wife, Sam, you knew that we're in what's called a mixed orientation marriage where I am someone who wrestles with my own sexuality and same-sex attraction. We've shared that with our church before. And I wrote a journal entry a while back, before we ever shared this with the church, about the role that confession has met for me and how Jesus has transformed my life and my heart. And I just want to read this, this journal entry to all of you here this morning. I grew up as a gay kid in the evangelical church. I had secret crushes on guys in high school I never told anyone about. Porn addictions that dehumanized myself and others. Shame, hiding, secrecy, suicidal thoughts. As a kid, the only conversations happening about sexuality in my Christian circles were some combined tone of disgust and shame. I remember being a middle schooler in my Christian school math class thinking to myself, what would Miss Walter think if she knew who I was in the hiding? Many in the church perpetuated the idea, perhaps even unknowingly, that some shame just needs to stay in the dark. It's not welcome in the light. Your struggle is all in your head, kid. Man, those types of people make me want to pick up my own rocks. And yet, we ought to repent of whenever we make someone else suffer alone in the dark and forgive each other for when that has happened, because we are all sinners. We all wrestle. We all carry our own stuff and our own baggage. But then there's Jesus, stable and constant, the friend of the kid hiding in the closet, the guy who sits in the dirt with the woman caught in adultery, the guy who flips tables when people will gatekeep access to God, he won back complete vulnerability before God again, and it cost him dearly. He is the one who strengthens the weak and weakens the strong. All of us are the woman in the dirt exposed before God, and he chose not to exploit our shame. I don't need affirmation from Jesus. 
I need transformation from Jesus. Because of that, I'll give Jesus everything for my whole life. I'll let him define everything because he is the only one who never left this kid alone in the closet. That means even in the light of being outside, I'll let Jesus define everything for me. I'll let him define my sexuality. I'll let him define um, what is sin and what is not in my life. I'll let him define my relationships. I'll let him define everything, especially if it means others can see how close he really is to them in their own hiding and shame. There's nothing I won't give him. There's nowhere I won't follow him. I will accept no label over my life except his. He's the only one who never left. My faith is in the friend of the kid in the closet. And he's taught me how to love his people again. I adore the church. I don't have bitterness towards the church. I adore the church. I adore you guys. Because together, we are learning what it means to bring our junk and our sin, and our shame to the feet of the only one who could throw a rock and chose a cross instead. And we invite him to heal that. We invite him to restore. We drop our rocks as we follow him. This is a place where it is okay to be in process. In fact, I've said this before. I think Jesus' disciples were allowed to be more in process than sometimes what we're comfortable with people being in the church. It is okay to be in process here, but make no mistake about it, we are unapologetically going after the person of Jesus. And we will have grace for each other when we trip and mess up on that process. It is a journey. But here's the thing. Jesus is inviting you into the light out of your own shame, your own hiding, and your own self-condemnation, and he desires to free you, to go and sin no more. So as we close, I want to invite the band up here this morning. And I just want to ask you the question, where in your life do you need to confess to God right now? What do you need to confess to God right now? I just did mine on a stage. You can do it in quiet before God. What do you need to confess right now? What areas of your life are you trying to be everything for everybody and you're just taking it out all over the place and you're carrying burdens and loads that you were never designed to carry? What area of secret or hidden shame and sin in your life is just wreaking havoc on your family, on your job, on your, your very own sense of self? What sin is keeping this barrier between you and God because on the cross, what Jesus has done, and this is just so beautiful about who he is, is he bore the cost of my sin. He did not pick up a rock. He, he was nailed to a cross. He laid down his life for you and for me. The reason this line from the Lord's Prayer is the single most important line is because this is the birthplace of salvation where we lay down and we repent of everything in our lives, understanding that his invitation is neither do I condemn you, now go and sin no more. Live free from your sin. And this only happens when we come before him and we ask forgiveness and we extend that same forgiveness to others in our life. There is freedom in this place. So what I want to do is I'm going to close us in prayer here. And then I just want to give a minute of time, just silence and 
just space for you to confess before God. Just you and him here. Not going to have to come up or do it on a stage, but just you and him here in this moment. Just bring before him what is in you. And if you don't feel like you have anything to confess to God right now in this moment, ask him to reveal what you have to confess to him. This isn't something that you grow out of. We all have stuff to bring before him. We all have stuff to confess to him. So let's pray together, and then we're going to just leave a minute of space here. Jesus, we thank you for this picture that you've given us of yourself. When faced with an adulterous woman, you did not pick up a rock. Instead, you laid down your life. And Jesus, here this morning, we invite you to do the same for us. God, I pray for my brothers and my sisters here. I pray for people who are here who maybe have a lot of pent-up anger towards you right now, God. I pray for brothers and sisters who are just drowning in their own shame because it's been exploited by people in your name in the past. God, we repent of those times when we've made people suffer alone in the dark. And Jesus, we want to be like you where we don't condemn, but we invite people to be freed from sin in your name. And so God, thank you. Thank you for the free gift of forgiveness at outrageous cost to yourself. We receive that. We accept that. God, let that transform us. In Jesus' name that we pray.